Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. The idea that the Christian faith is a private religion is wrong. We are members of a family, and as a family, we look out for one another. Hebrews 12.5 commands us to look out for each member in the church. Look out to see that we are growing in the marks of faith, the marks of peace and holiness. So what does God-given holiness look like? And what does it look like if we're neglecting the holiness God would have us live? There's two ways to neglect living a holy life. And one way you neglect it is to think that, again, well, because I'm right with God now, I can live any way I want. I'm right with God and I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what kind of impression I make on others. It doesn't matter what happens to other people. I'm right with God and so now there's no right and wrongs for me. And actually, that's not an uncommon idea. The book of 1 John was written to people who had that idea. They were called Gnostics. The Gnostics believed that they had this special knowledge that had been given to them, and it was a spiritual knowledge that gave them a right relationship with God, and that all that was important was a spiritual connection to God, and it had no connection to the way they lived their lives, and so as a result, they could live their lives any way they wanted to live, and it was all good. The book of 1 John, and so they started actually leaving other Christians in the church because those Christians were guilting them. Well, what do you mean? I can't do this and I can't do that. And the truth is you can do whatever you want once you're right with God and it doesn't matter. And they left. They left this little group of people behind that were wondering, well, are they right? Did we miss some point? Was there some note that we didn't get when the gospel was preached to us? And John writes them to say, no, no. Here, let me write to you and give you the evidence, the evidence that you've been born again of God and you're really his child. It's actually in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. I'd like you to go there with me for a second. By the way, this, this actually is a common idea. I know that there is a kind of false law legalism that's preached in churches where people are told to behave a certain way because that's how you prove yourself to God and that's how you're a good person. And it's not true because all of our goodness and all of our righteousness comes from Jesus. But at the same time, the alternative to that in people's mind is, well, then nothing matters at all. How you live doesn't matter at all. Just this week, I read an article of an individual who had grown up in a church that was told that, you know, they had to be pure their whole lives, that they, they had to keep themselves sexually pure. The person writes the article to realize when they were 26 years old, they realized that their spirit and their bodies were two different things, and their, their sexuality and their spirit were two different things. And when they realized that and that their spirit was okay with God, they went out and began to enjoy all the things they could enjoy with their bodies regardless. And it was noted in the thing that this person is a devout Christian, etc., etc., etc. You know what that is? That's Gnosticism. That's a thing that 1 John was written against, that kind of idea. Here's what John writes. When people tell you, hey, look, if you're right with God, it doesn't matter what you can do, you can do anything you want. He writes and says in verse 7, little children. Now remember, he's writing to people who are... Born-again children of God, they're little God's children, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever among you is practicing or living out a right and righteous life, you're righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. The idea that if I'm right with God, I can do whatever I want with my life is false. It's not true. You're actually supposed to look into people's lives and assume that when a person has truly encountered Jesus Christ and His saving power, that they will live at peace with others because they're filled with peace in themselves, and they will live holy before others because the Holy Savior is living within them. You think of the way that Jesus lived His life on earth. You think of the way He lived His life. He was able to have fellowship with people in every walk of life. He wasn't turned away from people because they were sinful or they were struggling with challenges in their life. He was among them and he lived with them. But at the same time, he lived among them holy. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And here's what I think people need to understand. People, when they were with Jesus, said, this man is my friend. He's my friend. You know what else they thought? And I'm a sinner. There's something about him that's different that I'm not. And when that Savior comes and lives in your life by faith, he begins to produce that same dynamic in your life. And we're to actually watching over ourselves to see that that dynamic is being nurtured within us. Now, there's another way that we neglect holiness. It's not like simply saying that it doesn't really matter how I live. The other way that we neglect it is by saying What really matters is what I do and how I live and what my performance is. And I'm doing this in order to, by my own strength and by my own choosing, by picking the laws that I think are the ones that I'm good at or the ones I need to become good at, I'm going to produce holiness in my life. I'm going to make myself right before God so God is going to approve of me more than he approves of them because I'm good. I'm better. That's legalism. My mother used to call that clothesline religion. Everybody would... In the old days, you know, people used to look out and see what their neighbor was putting on the clothesline to find out what they're wearing. Oh, look at that new clothes they got. Look at that new dress they got. Oh, wow. Maybe they got a raise, you know, whatever it is. Or, oh, those poor people, they just, they're living on rags. They have nothing. Look at their poor, miserable lives. Well, look what they have on their lines. You know, what kind of starch do they use? What kind of bleach are they? Clothesline religion. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look how I'm performing. God will accept me. I'm approved. Listen, the person who lives in that way has that idea of what, that that's what holiness is. That's the product of their own effort and their own desire to be approved by the people is going to produce one of two outcomes. One of two outcomes always. One is they're going to become proud at their successes. They're going to develop a pride and a judgmentalness towards others because they're better, right? Or the other one is they're going to be pitifully defeated because of their failures. Oh, I just am no good. Why even try? I can't even make it. It's one or the other. But that's not holiness. That's the pursuit of a self-earned righteousness before God. It's a performance-based acceptability that you're seeking, and it's not the same as the righteousness that rises out of children who just delight in being God's sons and daughters, who just have within them the, the seed of God's own life flourishing within them, and they enjoy it, and they grow, and they don't always do the right things, but He disciplines them, And he corrects them, and then they grow some more. So we're to look for genuine peace. And we're to look for Christ-like holiness. We're to look for those places where God's seed and God's work is growing freely, significantly in our lives. The second assumption here, it says, look out and look. And it's not a word 
saying, just look at yourself. Well, that's implied. Remember, Jesus said that you cannot go and try to pluck the splinter from your neighbor's eye unless you are willing to remove the beam from your own. But listen, he didn't say, don't take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye. Take the beam out of your eye first. Deal with yourself first. This verse says here, actually, look, looking out to others. It says, look out to others. And here's a second assumption. It's this. Looking carefully only works if you care. And you can't care for those that you're not with. And you can't care for those that you don't love. So the assumption here is that there are a group of people that have gathered together because of a great transforming work in their life, being made a people they'd never been before, and they've found one another, and they love the one who saved them, and they love those who have been saved by him, and so they love one another, and they care for one another, and they have longing desires for themselves, and they have longing desires for their friends. It's assumed that professing Christians are going to spend time with one another, and that they'll care for one another. They care so much for one another that they're ready to look into the other person's life. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Spend time getting to know yourself. Spend time getting to know others in God's family. Care enough to look carefully and speak lovingly the truth to one another. James 5.16 builds upon this very same idea. It speaks of the loving concern that you're supposed to have for others. And there James commands, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Just assumed. This morning I actually went and I found a little treatise that was written in the early 1700s by a man named Samuel Wesley. He was the father of John and Charles Wesley who founded the Methodist movement, the Methodist churches. And there in it is an outline by Samuel Wesley of how members went at this community of no more than 12 were to gather together on a weekly basis and how they were to gather together with an agreement that their first concern would be to remove beams from their own eyes, but then as they were willing to remove beams from their own eyes to go among one another to bless and minister to one another by helping remove the splinter from the other man's eyes, the other person's eyes. It's interesting, they always met in groups of men or women, in separate groups. Apparently, men would be more honest if men were with men, and women would be more honest if women were with women. But in that situation, there were certain things they had to answer. Have you come under the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Are you willing for Him to continue to search out your heart for every area of sin in your life? Are you willing for us to speak freely about what God is saying to us and what we're observing from your life? Right? There's this outline, this pattern of the individuals gathering for the purpose of lovingly driving one another on to a life that gave a testament that I'm at peace, I'm whole in Christ, and I'm wanting to be holy. That's an assumption that's here. It's a dynamic that's being assumed will take place within the family of God. Here's a third assumption. It's the last one we'll look at this morning, and then next week we'll look at these warnings. The third assumption here is that looking carefully requires a faithful examination and warns against an unfaithful presumption. You know what presumption is? It's when you just assume that things are, everything's good. In fact, I don't even want to know if there's any other, I'd, let's, just, let's just say it's good. Let's say it's all right. I don't want to deal with any bad information. I don't want to be disappointed. So let's just assume presumption, right? 
It requires a faithful examination and warns against an unfaithful presumption. Back to 1 John. 1 John was written so that the evidences of the new birth could be discovered by a true child of God. If you read the book of 1 John, you'll see that John mentions three evidences over and over again that reveal that you've been born again of Jesus Christ, that you have a new life in Him. One is that you love God and you love God's people. That's one of them. It's stated over and over again. Another one is that you love God's Word, you follow His commands. You don't continue in the same patterns of sin. God begins to take you out of those patterns and change your life. And the third one is that the Spirit of God lives in you and He ignites an understanding of God's Word that you've never had before. All of a sudden, you read the Word and it makes sense to you. You don't need for somebody else to come along and tell you what the Bible means. The Spirit begins to tell you what it means. And, and as you read it, the Spirit has continued to communicate it to you, and that makes you love Him more, and that makes you want to obey Him more, and there's a principle that just keeps building momentum in your life. The idea that's here. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.10. And by the way, paying attention for these evidences in your life are important. They're important because they will produce one of two results. One is they'll bring great assurance to the person who truly has received Jesus as their Savior and been changed because it's not a theoretical idea. It's not just a belief statement where you've just said, well, here's my doctrine in life, but you see it's actually impacting the way you live. God is real because He's real in me and He's changing me and it's tremendously encouraging. But the other result was that it will not only encourage the person who's truly been saved, but it will correct those who might be thinking they're saved, but they're not. Thanks for listening to the Bread of Life today. To learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. For now, until we join around God's Word again, God bless you.